the living version of the Bible, the uh, KJV. And so let's all go ahead and just recite that. Now, if you've got one of the other ones, you may not have the words exactly the same, but we'll still forgive Isla for her indiscretion. But come on, let's, let's quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. So that's the, that's the foundation we're going to start off with. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, it's a privilege again to be able to begin this year by breaking the bread of life. It is our desire for you to speak to us all clearly. And we pray that out of this, Lord, you'd really give us direction, uh, broaden our perspectives, help us to become the soul winners that you want us to become. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. John chapter 3 is a very popular chapter because of the conversation with Nicodemus. It was a very educated man, a individual who was, you know, really climbed the, the ranks of society and was at the top as an elder in the community. And this man had questions about a relationship with God. He had questions about the kingdom of God. And it's obvious that Jesus must have been teaching something and doing things that really grabbed his attention. Because that's why he came to the Lord one evening and said, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God. Nobody can do these miracles that you're doing except God is with him. So that kind of context is what sets up the conversation where Jesus says to him, except you're born again. You can't see and you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, the thing I want to point out is he didn't know that he was on the outside of the kingdom of God. That's a dangerous place to be in, to have a conversation with the Lord and never even realize that you're not where you're supposed to be and to be under the impression that because of the fact you're a, a Jewish person or of the seed of Abraham or because you've been circumcised, that that naturally meant that spiritually you were where you should be. And, and Jesus, he kind of took a pen and he burst that bubble and this is why Nicodemus has this conversation trying to figure out, how can I be born again? Can I go back into my mom's womb? How can I put all of this in reverse? And the Lord is saying, I'm talking to you about some spiritual things. You can't even comprehend it. And if we're talking about natural things, you can't comprehend it. So this man is having some issues on every side. So the Lord then gives the illustration of Moses in the wilderness. And you'll remember from Numbers the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining against Pastor Moses. And because of that, God sent snakes amongst the people and the snakes were biting the people. And then the people started fainting. So your, your lesson from that is don't murmur against the pastor. OK, you just don't know what's going to happen. Be careful. All right. So when when Moses took a pole and put the image of a serpent on it, then the scripture said he ran out in the midst of all the people. And so the serpents are what is are attacking people. But then they're to look at the very image of what is attacking them. And through that, their health was restored and they found life. And Jesus is given the illustration 
The same way Moses lifted up the pole, I have to be lifted up. I'm going to bear sin. And, and people who look to me are going to find life. And it's at that point in verse 16 that we get a glimpse of the immensity of God's love. God so loved the world. Now, here is somebody that has the ability to love the world. Now, there are more than 200 nations on this planet, and I don't even know how many different tribes there are on this planet, how many different languages and idioms and everything else that people speak. In fact, if, if we say that God is everywhere, there's nobody in this room that knows where everywhere is. But he does. He knows where the, every one of those locations are. And yet the scripture says that God so loved the world. Now that's short people, tall people, skinny people, chubby people, bald people, people with hair on their head. God loves them all. And that kind of love is important for us as Christians because we live in this world. And we're coming in contact with people that were created in the image of God, even if that image is distorted by this whole thing that we call sin. So the scripture tells us in verse 16 again that his love for the world was great. And it says that he gave his only begotten son. So God is the source of salvation for every person. No man, no woman can approach God the Father apart from a relationship with the Son. That's just how this is. Jesus said that through the scripture. And the reason verse 16 is an important witnessing uh, verse and passage is because we, we want to emphasize that no other religion is going to gain you access or permit you favor in the presence of God except for through the Son. So the source of our salvation. And then when it says he gave his only begotten son, you can imagine what that would have been like for the triune Godhead before the foundation of the world had been laid for God the Son to determine that he would come into this world in order to redeem man. And the whole time he's here, he's trusting God the Father and Jesus is filled with God the Holy Spirit and the triune Godhead is at work in producing the salvation that you and I have come to know and have come to own. Notice the condition in verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish. So then faith is a necessary prerequisite for someone to enjoy salvation. Why is that important? Because out here, people don't always believe that faith is a requirement. Some people believe they're born again because of some particular thing that may have happened in the past. Some people believe they're Christian because their parents are Christian. They were born in a Christian home. I have met people who have thought they were Christian simply because they were Americans. In the way that there are people overseas who will say, of course I'm Hindu. I'm Indian. See, Of course I'm a Muslim. I'm an Egyptian. The relationship that we have with God is based upon a relationship of faith. We understand the process of salvation originated in the mind of God. We know that it's by the grace of God, but we also understand from our end, we have to believe. 
And so when it says whosoever believes, it doesn't matter what their background is. And this is what this is part of the the issue that produced the Protestant Reformation. You had multitudes of people who were Catholics that started reading Romans and started reading Galatians, and because they came to a true saving knowledge of the Lord and an understanding of justification, then they realized that you had to believe. And new birth became the process by which people's lives could be changed. So the Lord is the source of salvation, Notice verse 16 here, then it gives us the beautiful design of it. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. So the Christian does not perish. We, we leave this world. We lay our physical bodies down, but we pick up a new body on the other side of our last natural breath. We receive a glorified body, a body that has no aches, no pains, Hopefully no gray hair. Yeah. And, and we receive a body that is lovely and wonderful. And the scripture speaks of this existence as everlasting life. However, every human has an eternity. I've told you in the past, God allowed the human species to do what animals cannot do. To do what insects cannot do. To do what aquatic mammals cannot do. You say, what is that? Humans are able to give birth to that which is eternal. Every baby that comes into this world has an eternity up ahead of it. It's an eternity with God or it's an eternity without God. It's going to heaven or it's about going to hell. So verse 16 then, again, that God is the source of our salvation. You can see the design of it laid out, and it tells us that we won't perish but have everlasting life. So we understand from verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world through him would be saved. So salvation then is not about imputing your transgressions against you, but about pulling you out of those transgressions. In verse 18, which is very often overlooked, the one who believes is not condemned, but the one who doesn't believe is condemned already. The verdict has already been issued. So what does it mean in the court system for somebody to be you know, found guilty in absentia. That means even though the person didn't appear in the courtroom, there was already a trial. The individual was found guilty. And once a bounty hunter or a law enforcement officer finds this person and brings them back to wherever, whatever law enforcement agency is going to handle them, that person still is going to be incarcerated on the basis of a trial that already took place, even if he or she didn't even know they were sentenced. So when you run into people today who tell you they don't believe in God, they don't even know that they're condemned already. Some do, all don't. It's almost like the sword of Damocles is swinging over their head with every step that they take. As a Christian, then, it is our responsibility to share the good news of Jesus' salvation so that people will not end up losing their lives and be condemned. Yeah. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We have mentioned 
about God loving this world, but let's pay attention now. 1 John 2 and verse 1. The B clause of verse 1 and also verse 2. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, as I understand it, we're all believers in here and we love the Lord and we're Christian. But since you've become a Christian, is there anyone in here who has not sinned since they become a Christian? Anybody in here? Don't lie now. Come on. Gotta be, is not one perfect person in here? Okay, so here's what the scripture says. If anyone, anyone sins, we got an advocate. Then it goes further in verse 2. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of who? The whole world. Now, I've had a lot of, uh, how do I want to say, debates, discussions, heated arguments, battles, uh, talks that almost led to fisticuffs with people who, who want to say that when Jesus died, he only died for the church, for the elect. And, and, and the issue goes like this. They'll say that God, in the beginning, before there was a man or a woman, there was an eternal decree made, and that decree basically states, and I'm just giving you the principles of, of, of uh, John Calvin now, that, that God made a decree that his son would come and die for a specific group of people that God sovereignly elected to be saved. So that Jesus' death was specifically for those who would become Christian, and God would leave the unbeliever to himself or herself, passing over them, allowing them to die. So once Jesus died and a person becomes part of the elect, then, of course, they, per, they persevere in the grace of God because Jesus' death was only for the Christian. If you'll notice verse 2 again, it says, He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. See? So we understand from this that Jesus' death on the cross is efficient, Sufficient for every person on the planet, but it's only effective and useful for the one that believes. The man or woman who chooses not to believe cannot enjoy the benefits of salvation, the advantages of salvation. So what, what does that mean with regard to our, our everyday life? That means that when we hear the gospel, we have to be responsible to respond to the gospel. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to them and then said, repent, he wouldn't have told them to do what was impossible for them to do, to do, you see? If he says repent, that means it's within your ability to repent. When the Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Okay, if I must be born again, then I may be born again. That's where it begins. The gospel comes, and as the gospel is proclaimed, the Spirit of God is at work to ensure that a proper response can be made. I'm not just saying may be made. I'm saying can be made. The ability is there. And the reason I know that is because wherever there is the power of conviction, there's also the power there 
to repent. And wherever a man or woman uses that power or surrenders to that power and repents, here comes a brand new born again life. No doubt about it. And Ephesians 1 describes it like this. Having heard the gospel. Then the next thing it says, you believed the gospel. Then the next thing it says, you were sealed by the spirit. So just like a rancher will take a branding iron and brand the cattle so that he will know what cattle belongs to him or her, God has a mark on you and God has a mark on me. And even if I can't identify who is genuinely born again in Christian, the scripture says the Lord knoweth those that are his. He knows. Yeah. So when he looks down here in this room right now, God is able to recognize who truly belongs to him, but he also knows who doesn't belong to him. Yeah. When God looks into your heart and into my heart, he wants to see one thing. That's a reflection of his son's face. That's what he's looking for. That's what he desires to see. So again, if, if anybody sins, we have the advocate. Now, now that tells me that we can never exhaust the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in his role of intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. And I don't know about you, but I use up a lot of the blood of Jesus every day. Yeah. If you don't believe me, follow us around the house. Yeah. And if you think I use up a whole lot, you ought to follow that little gal around back there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So... Propitiation. What is propitiation? That that has to do with with wrath and and anger. To propitiate someone is to try to cause that individual to turn from disfavor towards you and look upon you in a favorable way. And this is what Jesus did. God was not happy. He was not pleased with mankind's actions. How do I know that? The psalmist says God is angry with the sinner every day. His bow is bent towards their destruction. He can let an arrow fly and let it loose at any time and it'll mortally wound someone and that'll be the end of their life. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about people being children of disobedience, children of wrath. God isn't happy with sinful activity. I know that's contrary to what we hear on television and radio sometimes because you know the... the, uh, The life insurance salesman, the heaven insurance salesman on television says things like this. Come on, people, you know God's not angry with you. You can live any way you want. Doesn't work that way. God is very unhappy with the way people live. And if he wasn't unhappy, he would never have sent his son. See, If if what we're doing is okay in sin, then there's no reason to come up with a plan of salvation. Now, I don't want you to have the image of God as though he's a harsh taskmaster and he's sitting up in heaven with a thunderbolt in this hand and a thunderbolt in this hand and he's just waiting for you to get out of line so he can start hurling. That's not the image I'm trying to give you. You've got to preach the balance. The same God that made hell also made heaven. The same God... That, that judges people and is a jealous God is also a good God. And we read he's the loving God. He so loved the world. And you know he's a loving person when you look at what's going on in our 
world today and how much iniquity and wickedness there is. And God is so long suffering and he's so patient. And he still loves them, even if they don't know it. So you parents who have had to show exceptional love toward your sons and daughters, because I'm, I'm sure that every now and then, you know, Emma may not be the easiest person to love. Every now and then. Not every day, but every now and then. And there's, there's probably been one or two occasions where, where mom and dad weren't too enthused with Julian's behavior. Occasionally. See, it doesn't happen often, but just every now and then. But yet God goes out of his way to keep reaching out, put his arm around us to bring us close to him. That's the love of God. And God has got enough blood that was shed on the cross, and he has enough power in redemption and in forgiveness that if you went to him 70 times 7, he still would be able to tell you, I forgive you. I don't know if you could do that. You should be able to do that. I should be able to do that. I think it's Romans 5 and 5 that says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That means the love that God has for this world, we also can have it, should manifest it towards people who aren't lovable sometimes, who just really are mean-spirited. So we have to ask God to help us to have the kind of patience and endurance and long-suffering that is necessary. So the death of Jesus wasn't limited or localized to one particular group. It's for all who will believe. He came into this world, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. Scripture says in the fullness of time. But then here you can see his ministry was to reach everybody. Everybody. Now let's go to Mark 16. Mark 16. Interesting verse here, because we've told you God so loved the world, then we showed you where Jesus died for the world. Now, listen to what the Lord says in Mark 16, 15. He says to you and to me, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So God expects Christians, God expects his church to be filled with a going people. Now, going to all the world can mean different things to different people. You may not necessarily feel <clears throat> called to go to foreign countries. That's not something that's, uh, that you're obligated to do. You, you may not even feel obligated to go to another state. You're not necessarily obligated to do that, but you are obligated to share the good news in the manner that Philip did with the Ethiopian. And the scripture says Philip was in the midst of a red hot revival in Samaria. And then the angel of the Lord said, I want you to leave this revival and head south. You don't need to know where you're going. You just go south. And that's what he did. He started heading toward Gaza. And when he got down there, he was walking around and there was a chariot off there in the distance. And there's an Ethiopian man sitting in there and he's reading the Bible or something aloud. And, and Philip said to him, do you even understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless somebody tell me, teach me? And so Philip, you know, Philip didn't even wait for an invitation. He did what you would have did. He just climbed right on up in the chair and said, you're looking for somebody to talk to you. Here I am. 
Philip gets up there, ministers the word of God to him. You know that he was talking about salvation and Jesus' ministry and people being converted and people being baptized in water because the man said, okay, here is some water. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, nothing at all. So they stepped down into the water. Philip took him down in the water. Sure enough, he came up. And once he came up out of that water, he looked around and Philip was gone. Just, I guess just translated by the power of God, but he was gone. But here, here's the thing, though. To enter into someone else's world very often just means to get to know someone, spend some time with them. Yeah. And by doing that, you, you'll get to know people in a great way. You know, in order to establish relationships, you have to be intentional. You realize that? You have to be intentional. What do, you mean, what do I mean by being intentional? I mean, you have to make time to spend time with people. That's important. Now, in our early years when, when we came out here, especially before uh, Tiffany came out here and we were, we were still in, engaged and everything, hadn't quite gotten married, so what, what I would do is I, I would show up at people's house right at mealtime. <laughs> I was intentional. I was intentional, yeah. And, and of course... People were quite, quite pleased to, to feed the, the, the single preacher. And here I was in my late 20s. And so I'd, I'd, I'd show up. I'd tell people, oh, I'm going to stop by and come by and see you. And, of course, I'd, I'd get there right by 11.45, show up about 5.30, you know, supper time, getting made and everything like that. But we're, we're having these meals. But at the same time we're having meals, you know what else we're doing? Getting to know one another. Yeah. And and when I have gone out of my way, whether it's to get to know somebody in law enforcement or, or some farmers or whatever, there's a lot that can be gained by just having coffee with somebody. Just sitting down talking with somebody. And and people can, you know, with a pastor in particular, they 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 get a chance to ask questions or share things in private that they wouldn't necessarily get to do when other people are around. So that's one way to enter into people's world. But the other part, of course, of Mark 16, 15, is be willing to go. So even if you don't want to go to foreign countries, then be willing to support those who do go to foreign countries. Yeah. You, you can go on your knees. Nobody can stop you from praying for people around the world and for different tribes. You can say, I'm going to give 15 minutes of every day to pray for all the tribes that are in Brazil that I know of. Then you can look up the different tribes and then take the time to pray for these, these different people. Or you can say, well, Lord, I, I want to take some time to pray for people that I know that are in other states, friends that I have that are passing through difficult times, and you can spend 30 minutes in prayer. Yeah, you can go into all the world a lot of different ways. You open up some of those old photo albums that you have buried away in the attic somewhere. And go to praying for some people you haven't seen in 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And start praying for them and their grandkids and great-grandkids. There's a lot you can do. But what I want to emphasize is God so loved the world that he gave his son. His son so loved the world that he gave his life. And so now, now we have to love the world so much to give ourselves. See, to give ourselves. 
when, when we think of out here, this isn't the easiest place to do church and to do evangelism. And the reason for that is because our small towns are so confined and so many people know each other, sometimes related to each other, that when you talk to someone about the Lord, they will instantly tell you what church they belong to, even if they hadn't been in 47 years. Yeah. Because that's the church grandpa went to. So, of course, if grandpa went to that one, then that's my church. See, so it's not about a personal relationship. And when you come along and you start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and you have a, a passion and there's a fervency to your relationship and they can see that it's, it's genuine, it's authentic, it's real. And you're reading the scripture every day and you've got a bounce in your step and they can hear it in your conversation. When you talk to them about God, they don't automatically think you're a Christian. They think you've lost your mind and you're a fanatic. Because in their mind, to be a Christian is to just live out here and go to church every now and then, you know, special holidays, wedding, funeral, something like that. And, and everything's okay. Have a Bible on the shelf. But to go into someone's world, you have to know God personally. You have to know, you know, your own testimony in a strong way to be able to share it with someone else. Because if you're no different than they are, then why should they change? See, there has to be something about us that makes us different from the nominal Christian, the one who's Christian by name only, and the person who is a sinner. The one who doesn't know God. There should be something in our lives. I should be able to detect something in your speech. Your countenance should radiate the joy of the Lord that's in your heart. You should not look like you've been baptized in vinegar. Okay, you should have a joy in your heart and in your life when you're talking about God. Because those are the ones that usually have the greater impact, not only here in America, but around the world. If what you're selling doesn't look like it makes you happy, then how in the world are you going to expect somebody else to want it? Can, can you imagine somebody come to your door and they're selling vacuum cleaners? And then you, you offer them an opportunity to come in and, and uh, look at the product. And then they come in. And then after they get it all set up and plug it up, and they say, now watch this. And then they start pushing it. And then the thing doesn't work. And it still doesn't work after five to seven minutes. They're making excuses for why it doesn't work. And pretty soon they get so frustrated, they pick the thing up, slam it down on the ground, and say, there's nothing but a bunch of garbage. You think anybody's going to want to buy that product? No. Well, I give it to you another way. <clears throat> How many times in your life have you called up a family member or a friend and said these words to them? I'm getting ready to go to a funeral. Would you like to come along? That doesn't happen too often. And, and that is one reason a lot of people don't invite folks to their fellowship. Because they know the service oftentimes is dead. See? Very important for us to have the life of God in us. I, I've told you when you go into different fellowships and you're singing, whether it's a hymn or any kind of song they have, sing it with life. 
I don't care what everybody else is doing. Sing it passionately yourself with life. I've been in a whole lot of churches where I know they don't believe in lifting their hands and all of that kind of stuff. But right in the middle of the song, as I'm praising God, my hand will go right up and I'll praise the Lord. I have a smile on my face. I refuse to go into somebody else's world and live like them if they don't know God. You're trying to reach people. So the best way to reach people is to be who you are in your relationship with God. Just because everyone else is having a hard time in marriage or a bad time with their kids, that doesn't mean you have to have a bad marriage and a terrible time with your kids. You can do it differently. Okay, so let's move on. So all the world preach the gospel to every creature. If we have to preach to every creature, God expects every creature to be reachable. Somebody has to go. Mr. Elliot had to go down there to South America to them places. Yeah, had to go. Mr. Livingston had to go to Africa. Terrible times down there. Had to face those. Uh, people who've gone to Papua New Guinea. Oh, my goodness. Tiff and I had a couple in our early years of marriage and pastoring down uh, here we had a couple from Papua New Guinea came and sat in our house and just the stories they told us about living out there in the jungle trying to reach these folks. Oh, my. It's one of those occasions where I just say, Lord, I'm so glad you called me here. Yeah. And, and people who, who have been called to, to go into, you know, the villages along the Mekong River coming from China all the way down into India. Places along Vietnam, Laos. There have been multitudes of people who've gone to foreign countries and essentially packed their personal belongings in coffins because they knew when they went, they were not coming back. Back in the 90s, I went to Colorado to the Iranian Christians conference there to hear a, a, a number of different Iranian Christians give their testimony. One gentleman I have his biography at home, and I love to read it every other year or so. A man named Miller, he, he spent 60 years in Iran, and he was at that conference. He was in his 90s. And to hear this man talk about what Iran was like back in 1921, 22, all the way up into the 80s, he was there. And he would share about going from village to village in these Muslim countries, trying to preach the gospel and how the Muslims would run him out of the village, sometimes throwing bottles at him, sometimes beating him. But he kept going back. He told about one village he was in when he brought his wife and, and uh, his children. He, he had never been married, but he married a woman who was a widow, had a couple of kids, so he had an instant family. And, and amazingly, this wife, from a very, very pretty good background as far as money, she left everything in America to go with this man to Iran. And here they were on a compound, and there were just six Americans in this little village, and they were working, trying to help a doctor, and he told the story about having to ride an old rickety cart 500 miles with postal stuff in the back, mail service and all that stuff in the back of that car, just because he had to get from Tehran all the way over to the Afghan border where he could begin his mission preaching the gospel. Folks, there have been a lot of people that have traveled on this earth, sacrificed so much that we've never known about, but one day when we get to heaven, we'll sit down and meet them face to face. 
Go into all the world means different things to different people. Some folks have read this verse and this verse was highlighted in their minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they walked away from Fortune 500 companies to do this. Think of C.T. Studd and the Cambridge Seven that went to China. Every one of them were super wealthy, gave up all of their wealth in order to live by faith as they believed. Went to China. C.T. Studd, after he spent probably 15, 20 years in China, then left there, felt called to Africa and went down there. And that's where he died. Totally separated from his wife, I think. His wife and he communicated by letter for maybe 10 to 15 years. Where did he die? Down there. His wife finally made a visit down there to see him. And when it was time for her to head back to England, there he was. Right there, still on the mission field. And that's where he died. I was reading a a story the other day about a gentleman, I can't even remember which country he was in, but I believe it was on an island in South America, and this man died of starvation trying to reach people 70 or 80 years ago, but when they got to him, they found his journal. So here he had been sick, and, and, and they could see where he was obviously getting weak because they were looking at the the notations in the journal, how the little hand kind of got to where it was shaking a little bit as he's running out of, you know, nutrition in his body. And, and the last thing that he wrote before he died, and they found him in that cot, having starved to death, the last sentence he wrote was, I am overwhelmed by a sense of the goodness of God. And he died. Yeah, he died. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God's presence, God's power, God's grace gives people the ability to deal with things that other people would never deal with. They wouldn't put up with it for seven minutes. But because of the fact God has given you individual grace in your particular path and in your life, that is why you have stuck it out. So don't ever try to figure out, I don't know why they go over there and do that for so long. Or how could anybody live in this particular place? If they're doing it for God, it's because of God's grace. That's why. Yeah. I've met families uh, where uh, they had one kid and they say, I don't know why any of them folks on television have 18 and 19 kids. Well, God's given them grace to do it. You see? Yeah, they, that's, that's their desire. All right. Let's go to First John again. And this is where we'll get ready to hang our hat. But we have told you that, and we're on First John 2. Uh, Verse 15, we've told you that God so loved the world. Then we told you that Jesus died for the world. Then it's for the same world we're supposed to go into. But now I want to give you the part where the Lord says, "Okay, even though we're in this world, we're not of this world. We're going into the world. But he says, don't love the things that are in the world. So first John two, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. So you say, well, hold on, Pastor. I thought you said we're supposed to love all the people in the world. Because God said that in John 3.16. Correct. Then why then are we told not to love the world, or the things that are in the world. Well, remember, 
It's not an issue of loving people. It's a matter of disapproving of behavior and actions. So God is saying that you're to love the world, love people in the world, but when it comes to the things that are in this world, that should not be your attraction. Set your affection on things above. And then he tells you specifically what he's saying you should not be infatuated with. Lust of the eyes, pride of life, and lust of the flesh. Those three things. Those are the fruit of what we see in a world that doesn't believe in God. Yeah. They can't sell a toothbrush on television without, without, without a man being, you know, half naked in a skin-tight T-shirt and a pair of jockey shorts or something like that because they need to make what you're looking at attractive so that you'll want the toothbrush. You understand? Why, why do you think in, 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 in the world and all the, the biker magazines they put the pretty girls on the bikes? You think anybody's interested in the engine? Hey, they're interested in the bike. They're thinking about the lady. And, and, and I told you that when I was a kid, I didn't know anything about the heartland out here in mid-American states. I knew nothing about cornfields, but I did know as a kid, my brothers and I, every now and then, if there was nothing else on at all, you might catch us for five or six minutes watching Hee Haw. Yeah. And you remember the, the segments on Hee Haw where, you know, all the different people are singing and then up, up, up jumps the beautiful, pretty women and they start talking and singing, you know, coming up through the corn. And we, all my brothers and I thought, man, we don't have any corn like that out here in Ohio. <laughs> See? What kind of corn is this? So, so the Lord says, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And, and that is what the nation, you know, just it gravitates toward. It's centered on that all around the world. Beauty. And, and as Christians, we have to be very, very careful that we don't become, you know, infatuated with those things. Because, you know, we tend to become what we behold. See? Remember Psalm 27? One thing have I desired all my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold him. We have a tendency to become what we behold. If our eyes are on the Lord, we're going to act more and more like him. But if our eyes are on the world, you don't have a choice but to conform to the world. Yeah. Just watch how Christians act if they are carnal. I can promise you the carnality comes from what comes through here, what comes through here, and it governs their whole life. But you find somebody who's allowing themselves to be discipled by the word, and they surrender their heart, mind, soul, and strength to scripture, you'll find somebody who every day is walking out of step with this world, bringing their life into conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to lose friends, yeah? And, and you, you, may, you may lose places where you used to hang out, and some people are not going to be too pleased with your behavior. And in the beginning, you may feel like you're isolated, but you're not. I'm telling you, God's got 7,000 more that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You will always find people that believe like you if you're looking for people who believe like you. Yeah. I've had people say to me, 
we 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 didn't even know that uh you you were in Nebraska. We didn't even know there were Bible studies where people were going and people from different churches and stuff like that. And I said, look, we've always been here. But if you start asking, you start, you, you'll run into some people eventually that have a heart for you. And you, you end up in this Bible study. That Bible study might lead you to this one. This one might lead you to that one. Because ultimately what happens is we're, we're looking to grow in grace and in knowledge. And, and, and we can only take people as far as we're able to take them. So when you're five years old, you put a hat on your head. And that hat fits for a little while. But then when you're about 13 or 14, you can't fit that hat anymore. Yeah. And then you get older, then pretty soon you're looking for different kinds of hats to put on. Because maybe when you're 75, you don't want to wear the kind of hats you wore when you were 19 and 20. Yeah. Unless you're a cowboy. They wear the same hat all their life, you know. But but you, you, you get the picture. We, we tend to grow, and through our different seasons, God is leading us and guiding us. And that is the story of discipleship with Jesus. John the Baptist was the son of a priest. He did not go into the priesthood. He became a prophet. And he started preaching the message of the kingdom to people. And the people who were in the synagogue grew up Jewish just like him. They started following John the Baptist. And then one day John said, I have to decrease, but he has to increase because there's another guy coming. He's greater than me. And then when he finally came and they said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Then the people that were following John, they said, John, it's been good, but we think he's better. And they left John and turned from the Baptist and went straight on where Jesus was at. And that is the Christian experience as I have known it in most people's lives. They they start off walking with God. And as they're growing in grace and in knowledge, God is transforming their mind. He's transforming their heart. Even if they're not changing churches, they're still growing in grace and in knowledge. And the day you stop growing, get ready to die. Yeah, yeah. You, you see these, uh, these people who are really short. The, you know, they call them midgets. And they, they used to have, uh, the, that man used to be on Fantasy Island, used to be yelling the plane, the plane, you know. Well, you know, these, these people, their, their natural outer shell doesn't continue to grow very often. But yet sometimes the organs in their body are a normal size. But if that outer shell doesn't continue to grow, then this is why we have so many of those diminutive people who don't make it to their 50th birthday because that outer shell doesn't grow with the insides and pretty soon they end up dying because they just about explode on the inside. See? So as a Christian, ask God to help you every day to be willing to grow in grace and not to be confined simply by what one particular person or group tells you, but to go with where the book is leading. Yeah. And as you do that, you'll find that you'll bear fruit. And I pray 2021 is a good year like that. Amen. Oh, yes, absolutely, folks. We're expecting this to be a wonderful year. We want to all be powerful witnesses. I pray the Lord helps each one of us lead five people to Christ. Yes, 
The people know the king. And if you want to know who to start with first, start with John Ireland. <laughs> start with him back there in the back. Lead him right to the Lord. And when we come to know the king, when other people come to know the king, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing to lead a person to Christ. It's amazing to see the change on their face when they weep their way into the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful that you have been kind enough to bring salvation into our lives. God, we know there's a lot of folks in the world that don't know you. They don't even know the true story. And we don't say this in self-righteousness or arrogance, God. We just simply want to be submitted to your will and able to reach as many people as possible. And when you bring each of us across someone's path, when we're having a conversation, Lord, help us to be able to minister to that one that needs to hear your word. And we pray for many, many conversions up and down this valley I pray that in every church where your gospel is preached and where you have a pastor proclaiming the truth, let all of those churches flourish, God. Let them flourish. And let your sheep be pleased and happy and healthy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay.